is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, what's up, everybody? We're back in the studio today starting a brand new podcast series we're calling The Power of the Neighborhood Church. And this is something that we at Family Church in South Florida are extremely passionate about. We've learned a lot over the last 12 years as we have been building a family of neighborhood churches. But we know, Leslie Bennett, that we still have a lot to learn. We sure do. So we thought it would be fun to bring some other leaders from around the nation onto our podcast to talk about Neighborhood Church. So we're going to talk with some other pastors and ministry leaders over the course of the next several weeks and episodes. And today we have a special guest with us, Dr. Greg Allison from Southern Seminary. Yeah, and I'm so grateful for Dr. Allison because he's been a huge influence on me personally and on our thinking at Family Church. He's been down here. He's consulted with us. He's somebody that we are able to call, and we love to read his books and materials. But Greg, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us, and I would love for you just to introduce yourself to our audience, maybe tell a little bit about your your family and just kind of your ministry there at Southern Seminary. Sure. Great. Thank you for your invitation. I'm glad to be on with you, Jimmy and Leslie. I'm a Greg Allison. I'm starting my 20th year at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm professor of Christian theology, which means I teach Christian doctrine, particularly systematic theology. I have a couple of specific interests, the doctrine of the church, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, doctrine of human beings. I've done a book on embodiment. So those are some of my areas of uh, great interest. I've been married for over 46 years to my wife, uh, Nora. We have three adult kids and 11 grandkids. Wow. (laughs) So uh, that's a little bit of multiplication, (laughs) man. That's awesome. Multiplication. That's right. (laughs) Well, I so appreciate your spirit in all of this because you really are a really accomplished author, thinker, writer, recognized leader. And one of the ways that you've influenced me the most and us the most is in this area of what we call applied ecclesiology. And you've really worked hard to take some high-level thinking that's been done throughout church history and even recently, and you've synthesized all of that and given us all some really accessible ideas. Could you just speak briefly about some of the books that you've written and materials that you've created that churches could benefit from? Because we certainly have. Yeah, I have a big book called uh, Sojourners and Strangers, The Doctrine of the Church. This would be seminary-level material, but I think lay people could also enjoy reading it. And it's basically just that what is the nature of the church, its attributes, its identity markers, and then its ministries, its leadership. We talk about the Lord's Supper, baptism, so the ordinances. So it's a broad view of what the church is. And then a couple of years ago, I came out with a little book, orange cover, called The Church in Introduction, which is kind of Sojourners and Strangers Whittled Down. And I think that would be a really good book for listeners to read. It's short. It's really easy to go through. And again, it talks about what the church is. And I do this concept of mere ecclesiology, what all churches agree on, and then more ecclesiology, where like Baptists differ from Presbyterians, they differ from Episcopalians and all like that. So I hope that this would be a valuable resource. I also have a book written with Ryan Walsh on deacons called Raising the Dust. It's how to start and create a deacon ministry in the local church. 
Well, I'm so grateful because those materials have been very helpful to us. And, and Greg, you and I have been in conversation about this idea of applied ecclesiology and how it can work in a multi-site context, or should we even have multi-site churches? What about multiple services and all these different things? And you've been so helpful in helping me to ground my thinking in the scriptures, but also in the kind of intellectual tradition of the evangelical churches that go throughout church history. And you're just so helpful for all that. And Leslie, we've really benefited. We've been to conferences where Greg's spoken. He's had meals with us and our team. It's been really cool. Yeah, it has. And you also serve very actively in your local church, Greg. So I'm curious, as you think both as a seminary professor and somebody who's very active in the local church, how do you describe the power of the neighborhood church, if you had to sum it up? A neighborhood church, which is not only located in a neighborhood, but has the neighborhood people for its missional community, right? Where it wants to reach. The power is that neighborhood church constantly thinks about the neighbors, prays for the neighbors, goes to coffee shops and meets the neighbors, does grocery shopping with the neighbors. The neighborhood church, the members are in tune with the needs, the crises, the problems, the issues that are faced by your neighbors. And then you know your people in the neighborhood and you're able to befriend them and engage them in gospel conversations with the hope, with the prayer that they would become followers of Jesus Christ and become part of the neighborhood church. Well, I'm so encouraged by that. And we see that here. And I know that you're involved in church life there in Louisville. And I wonder if you talk a little bit about what you do there in terms, because you're not just, this is what the best thing about you, in my opinion, is you're super smart, obviously, but you're actually doing stuff. Yeah. Some news on this. My wife and I are now in a new church. We became members about a year ago of Sojourn Church Carlisle. Oh, now, wow. Form, it was formerly Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church, a church well over 100 years old, which had been in decline for 27 years in a row. And the leaders there at Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church reached out to us at Sojourn and said, could we have some kind of merger? We don't want our church to die, but we have to have new life. Otherwise, it is going to die. So four years ago, five years ago, I was part of the temporary advisory council for this crossover from Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church to Sojourn Church Carlisle. And a year ago, my wife and I became members and I preach occasionally. My wife does some stuff with the women. We're part of a CG. So we're learning about new church in a new neighborhood, demographically very different from what we're used to, from even where we live, but it's a great adventure. And in fact, I talked with our pastor, James Fields, before this podcast, because I wanted to hear from him about what is a neighborhood church and what are we trying to do at Sojourn Church Carlisle? Well, I think that's so tremendous. And I'm very well aware of that church. I've been to that church many times, spoken at that church, known the pastor of that church over many years. And I'm so thrilled because it has been kind of sad because it's a, it's a once proud church with a tremendous facility that had basically failed to capture enough people from the neighborhood to be viable. And I love that Sojourn has come in and said, let's change that. And that's exactly right. Why was the church in decline for 27 years? Because it failed to capture the context of its neighborhood, which was changing. In fact, during some consultation, right, conversations with the members of Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church, we said, what happened to the church? And their response was, the neighborhood changed. Mm. Yeah, that's the but neighborhood's they fault. They didn't, fill, they didn't <laughs> fill out the rest of it, but we didn't. 
and a neighborhood church, right? When the neighborhood changes, I think the power of the neighborhood church, it can change when the neighborhood changes and it has to. But we're not talking about compromising or changing the gospel. We're not talking about compromising or changing the essence of the nature of the church. We're just talking about reaching your neighborhood in ways that are contextualized and that are effective, fruitful for that neighborhood. Yeah, I think that's incredible. So let's think about the Bible. So what kind of lessons about church ministry, if you read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, but really the whole Bible talks a lot about the incarnational nature of ministry and it's God's ministry in the world, but then it's our ministry that God's given us. Can you talk just a little bit about that from the scriptures? Yes, obviously, the New Testament, to which you just referred, emphasizing the church is God's instrument, God's people for proclaiming the good news, the gospel, to those people in the neighborhood of the church to lead them to Christ, embrace salvation, and then to become disciples who engage missionally to reach not only the neighborhood, but also the city, the state, the nation, ultimately the world. So the New Testament focuses on that. It also expresses the three, what I think are the three key ministries of a church. That would be a ministry directed toward God, which is worship, ministry directed towards the people, the members of the church, which would be discipleship, and ministry directed to those not yet believers, those outside in the neighborhood, that would be missions. And then the New Testament also talks about relationships between members, relationships between Christians and Christians and non-Christians who are outside of the church. The New Testament talks about leadership of the church and things like that. The New Testament is packed through with instructions for what the church is. Well, I wonder also, you know, when you think about the whole world, you know, sometimes I think that the like the mega church that tends to dominate our conversations, conferences and whatever, it's only possible in a particular moment in a particular context. Because if you look around the world and throughout church history, the neighborhood churches really, that's the way church has been done, isn't it? Yes. And I think mega churches have difficulties with that because the content the videos, right? The whole package is standardized, mm. right? It has to be. But then how does that standardized content relate to this neighborhood over here, which is a particular demographic, and this neighborhood over here, which is a very different demographic? You've got a wealthy, rich demographic. You've got a poor urban context demographic. And a standardized approach, I think, misses a lot of what goes on in the actual neighborhoods in which the sites are located. I think that's important to note because one of the things, I mean, there's some real value to standardization, right? I mean, Henry Ford figured that out. And so, <laughs> yes. so there's a real, yep. some real value to it. But the problem is, you know, like Henry Ford also figured out, if you're going to standardize the production of a vehicle, you're going to have a lot of vehicles that look a lot alike. And I think that a lot of times the standardization works as long as your multiple sites have very similar demographics. So if you have a suburban kind of an upper middle class kind of a context, and you can multiply that in other suburban middle class contexts in the same sort of region, then that works really well. That works. Yep. But I think, Leslie, one of the things we always talk about is the standardization, customization conversation. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that, Dr. Allison. When you think through what are things that could be standardized, what are things that should be contextualized, do you have some buckets for that? Yeah, standardized would be what is the gospel? We don't compromise the gospel. We don't change the gospel. And then also the church in terms of its essence and what it is and what it does, 
right? The nature of the church doesn't change, but the way the gospel is communicated and the way the church then is expressed in its different forms of worship and in one context, discipleship in people's homes may work. In another context, the discipleship is going to take place in the church building. All those kinds of things, right? Gospel and the church are standardized, but then everything else has to be adapted to the context. So, for example, Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church in its well over 100-year history never had an African-American pastor. The pastor of Sojourn Church, Carlisle, is African-American, and that represents part of the demographics of our church, of our neighborhood. And then our neighborhood is multi-ethnic. That's one of our core values. So you come to a worship service Sunday morning, and let's say there are seven worship leaders, over half of the worship leaders are non-Caucasian right? Because we reflect the neighborhood in which we live. And those are kinds of examples that we can say are contextualization. Let's dig a little bit deeper because you just touched on something that I find extremely important. And that is if your goal would be for your church, your congregation to reflect the neighborhood, to feel like the neighborhood, then probably the most important person that needs to feel like the neighborhood is the pastor, Whoever's going to be the most, you know, visible person on the platform and the most visible out front leader. And you guys have made a a very strategic decision to make sure that if we want to reach, you decided that one of the things that's important is we need a pastor that's going to appeal to the neighborhood, that's going to feel like the neighborhood, it's going to look like the neighborhood. So I wonder if you could talk about how powerful, you know, that is. Pastor James and his family lives in the neighborhood. Right. And he sees himself as a pastor of the south end of Louisville neighborhood. There you go. And I talked to him this morning. He's writing his sermon, as he always does, in a coffee shop, so that as he writes his sermon, he sees his neighborhood. He sees the people, and he thinks, these are the people for whom I'm preaching. So he contextualizes his sermon. He makes himself available in many different ways, so that the people in the neighborhood see him as a source of help if they've got financial problems, if they've got marital problems, if there are issues that they deal with, if they're in crises, they go to Pastor James. They come to our church and ask for help. And that's extremely powerful. In James's words, Pastor James's words, God is at work wherever people are. Mm. And there is low-lying fruit in the neighborhood. And so if the pastor and the church are in the neighborhood, present, patiently present, praying, they find that low fruit. Here's a person in crisis. Here's a person who needs prayer. Here's a person who we need to befriend. And if we're not in our neighborhood, we miss all of that. And in our neighborhood, a church in the neighborhood is able to adapt to the neighborhood and not just impose its own agenda and its own strategies. I like that a lot. And it's very organic approach that you're expressing there. Is there anything that the church overall, or the church you're experiencing right now has done to specifically refocus on the neighborhood? So six months ago, the house right next to our church building was a target of arson. And so it burned down. Uh We bought and tore down the house, what was left of it. And we're going to use that plot, which is right next to our church for a community garden and or a playground for kids. So we want to be present in the neighborhood and communicate we are here to stay and we bring hope on all different levels. During the summers, when it's not too, too hot, we have church on the lawn. 
So we are right on a major street, Taylor Boulevard. So we bring this worship service out in our lawn mm-hmm. and people drive by and people walk by and all like that. And they see us worshiping the Lord outside. And inevitably they'll stop by, they'll listen. They'll say, wow, that church is really here for us. So these are a couple of ways that, that we're trying to really become embodied, contextualized in our neighborhood. And I appreciate that too, because, you know, I think what you're describing with Pastor James and what the neighborhood church gives you a possibility to be a true missionary outpost in the neighborhood. And I think if churches would see themselves more as a mission outpost for this area instead of like a refuge from the area, Mm. you know, because I think a lot of times church people feel like, oh, we're coming in here because we're getting killed out there. We got to come in here and be with people like us instead of seeing, oh, no, we're here because we're trying to be ambassadors for a kingdom, you know? And I wonder if you think, can you talk just a moment about that idea as a church, as a missionary enterprise? Yeah, the church, in a sense, doesn't exist for itself. Of course, uh, of course it does, right? Right. But that's one aspect. And we often emphasize that aspect. The church is for us to worship God, to care for one another, disciple one another, which is completely true. But when you have the missing component, the church is for others, right? There's the missional aspect to it. We exist, yes, for God and for ourselves, but we also exist for others. That is, the Holy Spirit, according to the word of God, constantly propels the church to engage with unbelievers. And we have a spectrum that we use at Carlisle, at Sojourn Church Carlisle, kind of a spectrum of people. They are strangers. So we're going to go from the left to the right, left to the right. They're strangers. They're unknown to us other than maybe by a quick encounter. There are neighbors. So there are familiar faces because they're physically around us. There are next friends. So we become a constant and dependable presence for them. They become visitors. That is, they enter into our church. They attend a service. They come to a community group. And then our hope and prayer is they become brothers and sisters. So we move from strangers to neighbors, to friends, to visitors, to brothers. This is our missional strategy to connect with people. And we want to identify where each person is at. And then we want to help move them from one stage to the next, hopefully prayerfully, to when they become brothers and sisters and become incorporated into our church. That's how we do missions in our neighborhood. That's excellent. And that's being very incarnational, which is something you mentioned you've written a lot on. So I wonder if you want to elaborate just thinking through that, like what is the incarnational that we aspect of being a pastor or a lay leader in a church or even the church as a whole? How can they be incarnational in their neighborhood? So it's contrasted with destination churches, maybe Uh, we call them, right? Where people from 30 miles away or closer, they'll drive in, they'll go to the service, and then they leave. They're not there in the neighborhood. But an incarnational church, right, is rooted and grounded in the neighborhood. Everything starts there. It doesn't end there, but it starts there. And so we have 95% of our members live in the south end of Louisville. So they're all near the church, right? And so they engage with people, moving them from strangers to neighbors to friends to visitors, to brothers, brothers and sisters. They engage with people in the neighborhood. You don't have to say, hey, come with me, travel 40 minutes away to come to my church. Say, hey, my church building is just down the way. We have a worship service there on Sunday mornings or 
we've got a community group meeting in my house. Will you join us and see what we're doing? So it's that ability to be rooted, have a strong presence, bring hope where you're grounded. And Greg, I so appreciate that. And I wonder, you interact with hundreds of students who are pastoring churches in a lot of different contexts. You consult with churches everywhere. You preach everywhere. What do you think neighborhood, there are churches that are located in neighborhoods, all different contexts. What does it take for a church to sort of recover, rediscover its purpose as a neighborhood church? Because a lot of them lose it. I would say you've got to do it sooner rather than later, realizing that if you don't ground yourself, locate yourself in that neighborhood, if you don't contextualize for that neighborhood, if the neighborhood changes and there's constant change right in population, uh, if the neighborhood changes and the church isn't open to changing, isn't thinking about changing, right, the church will become irrelevant and it will happen what happened to Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church 27 years in decline. So I think sooner rather than later, you got to think, yes, we care about drawing people from all over our city, for example, but we are particularly focused on reaching our neighborhood. So we do demographic studies. So the neighborhood in which we're planted called Jacob's Landing is one of the poorest neighborhoods in all of Louisville. And so that helps us understand the people that are in our neighborhood are hardworking blue collar people, but they make a little bit over $20,000 a year only. And so trying to think of how do we meet needs like that? How do we help them face crises of loss of job or things like that? This is what churches need to do in terms of thinking about being a neighborhood church. I like that because I do feel like there's all of these churches in these neighborhoods. They have facilities, they have a history, they have a story. But in somewhere along the line, I feel like a lot of them have almost coveted the ministry of other churches that have a different type of a footprint instead of leaning into the actual opportunity that's in front of them. That's exactly right. So where has God called the church to be? It's called the church to be in that neighborhood. And I know we have a complex comparing ourselves to other churches, bigger churches. I would just encourage pastors, members of the church, grow where God has planted you, right? Settle down there, be uh, patient, be present, and think through what is the best way to reach our neighborhood. Yeah, taking advice from missiologists and from church leaders and all that, but really, it's got you got to think, I'm not just trying to reproduce what others are doing. I can take ideas from others, but how do I really put that, locate that in the neighborhood that the church exists in? Well, Greg, I really appreciate your words today. I appreciate the heart that you have to help all of us think more clearly about our ecclesiology, think more clearly about our missiological strategy through the local church, and think more clearly about our leadership. And your writing, your speaking, and just your generosity of spirit in all of these things is really dear to me personally and to our church family. And I want you to know too, Dr. Allison, that to me, the thing that's so special about you is it's not just your sort of ability to write at a high level, but the fact that you and your wife are fully engaged in an actual boots on the ground church. And it keeps your writing and thinking from being so ethereal because you have to do it every day too. Yeah, and tell us again about the book you just finished, because you mentioned it, I think, before we started recording. Yeah, it's called God, Gift, and Guide, Knowing the Holy Spirit. So it's for church members who are maybe unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit. 
and how we are to worship the Holy Spirit and walk with the Holy Spirit and work with the Holy Spirit using our spiritual gifts in our churches. And it should come out sometime next spring with B&H. Well, right. I cannot wait Sounds to get really that good. book out. Yeah. We're going to use it at our church, I promise you. And again, Dr. Allison, thank you for joining us on Church for the Rest of Us. And thank you for everyone for listening today. And if you like what you heard today, I hope you will join us at our Church for the Rest of Us conference, which is coming up March the 2nd, 2023, right here in South Florida. And for many of you, South Florida in March is a really good idea. <laughs> Early registration is open right now, churchfortherestofus.com. We'd also love it if you would share this podcast with a friend, or even greater, if you'd take a moment and leave us a review or a rating on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it, and that would help other people find this podcast. I'm Jimmy Scroggins. I'm signing off. For my friends Leslie Bennett and Greg Allison, this has been Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.